0: Just a heads up, in this episode we talk about eating disorders and addiction. If this raises any issues for you, you can get in touch with the Butterfly Foundation one 800 334 or Lifeline 13 yeah! Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game.
1: I wanted to go to jail because there's no alcohol in. I wanted so badly to stop, but I didn't know how. And that thinking of I'm just too far gone there's always been something wrong. I've either it's been eating, right, and I'm like I wanted to die. And now it's drinking, and I can't live without drinking, but I can't live with it.
0: I first met Anna over in Perth back in 2015 when Red Bull hired me to do Anna's media training. Anna was bubbly, friendly, approachable, and motivated to learn. At the time, she was at the top of her game. She first represented Australia when she was just 17 and won two Commonwealth Games gold medals in 2010 as a teenager and 2014. She was just 20 when she first went to the Olympics in London and at that stage had over 50 caps for Australia. In 2013, she was named World Young Player of the Year. Although hockey is a team sport, Anna was the face of it. She had contracts with Nike and Red Bull, was in magazines, the media, on posters. She even went on Top Gear Live and at one stage had to have bodyguards at tournaments. The spotlight was that intense. But the bright lights of her fame hit a private torment. She battled with eating disorders and addiction. Anna was spiralling on the inside while still smiling on the outside. It all unravelled just before Rio when Anna had a DUI charge but didn't inform Hockey Australia. She was taken off the Olympic team and her drinking only worsened. It set off a dark chain of events where Anna hit her rock bottom, homeless, drinking and struggling. But it was after another arrest that Anna finally got the help that she needed. Today, she's sober, working full-time in PR and marketing and is studying counselling so she can help people in the same position she was in. It's been a hell of a journey for Anna, and it all started when she was an energetic, enthusiastic little girl growing up in the nation's capital.
1: I didn't like school because mm-hmm. I wanted to be outside running around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I came from, I like, I was born and bred. Both my parents met playing hockey. They're both mm-hmm. PE teachers, so I was at sport. From I started hockey at four, tennis at seven, athletics at nine. Wow! So it was like, and were you good at all of them in Canberra? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Sorry>. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like from you know I beat all the boys, mm-hmm. you know, from an early age. So I was like, well, why don't we do a little athletics? And, um, and from yeah, really early on because I was obsessed with Kathy Freeman. Mm-hmm. I, think I was eight when I went to the Olympics mm-hmm. or nine and had posters of her everywhere. And so my yeah. dream as a kid was I'm going to go to the Olympics in all three, like hockey, athletics and mm-hmm. um, tennis. Um, <laughs> that was the plan. I was <laughs> like, I can do that, sure. Um, but no, I – like primary school was uncomfortable. Why like was mum, was, mum said I was born anxious. Mm-hmm. But I moved in about year three because I was a, like – I would sit at the back and in a class of 32 public school, um, I would could pretend to read and no one would notice and I'd be looking outside and I was behind and then they got a tutor and then I hid from the tutor and so they moved me into – and my sister was totally fine. Mm. So they moved me into a smaller private school and having more one-on-one attention, it sort of changed probably my trajectory. Really? So I went from like not knowing how to read or write by like you do to like – Middle of the pack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I went to really good school in for high school, and I absolutely loved high school. But you know, I, um, I was quite quite uncomfortable and academically. Like, um, no, I managed to get by, and that's yeah. the thing. I, I, I did no study, but I did well. It was the procrastination. I never ever started anything unless mm. it was the day before. Yeah, I don't think I ever didn't do an all nighter. Um, and that was and that's still. <laughs> And was uni, that related to everything. your sport
3: or was that well, just it's the pretty way obvious you now
1: like yeah. at 28 I knew I knew but being um you know an adult female and then getting diagnosed with ADHD I'm like my uh-huh. whole life makes sense yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then being able to deal with that it is night and day yeah. and I look back at some of things and I struggled cuz I it's I'm known it's from yeah. random people on my social media to good friends uh I'm late, I lose stuff, mm-hmm. I'm not listening, I just, I just... Can't finish a task. Can't finish a task, right. I'm scattered. Yeah. Um, and so... When did you get diagnosed? 28 and I'm 30. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Was it misdiagnosed or just uh, do we know more about ADHD now than what we did then? Like was it... Yeah, you know, I remember growing up thinking it was the naughty kids that it's had 80, kids. And yeah. ADHD. Yeah,
1: but it's that's really not the it's, case at all. No, and it, you know, it wasn't. It would never crossed. Like I don't know if, not if it, I don't know if it did cross my parents' mind. I haven't mm. necessarily asked. Um, but it wasn't till, wasn't till after hockey. Well, mm. actually, no. It was still towards the end of my career, that it was becoming evident in relationship, mm. in just you know everyday mm. life. I was like, mm. and so. Being diagnosed then was 28, it was, and then researching it, and it's mm. like, oh, wow. <laughs> and rather than, and because I did, like, it would frustrate people. Mm. Frustrate people, but it frustrated, like, I was more frustrated than mm. anyone. And it's like, yeah. how do I keep doing this? Like, yeah. why do I keep losing my keys? Mm. Why am I, like, it would be. I needed like, every ounce mm. of my being before a game mm. like to just focus right. and like really yeah. hone in and it was like just these like really like just normal tasks mm. as well it's like now you know I'm on medication and yeah um it's night and day it is night and day wow. and I'm like is this how normal people yeah. <laughs> you can just do a task, yeah. Just do it, yeah. You don't leave it all day. Like everything has gotten so much better, yeah. and, um, and you know, I obviously the, like my story involves, going, you know, being really successful, and then, like the classic, um, I guess that you know that tragedy of okay, well they've gone off the rails and gone to rehab, and mm. all of those elements are. I live. I lived through all of that, but, um, and, you know, substance abuse, eating disorders, but going through with ADHD, have, getting medication, that's, a lot of that has just dissipated. You describe
3: your story as a tragedy, and I will go into it, but it is not a tragedy at all, <laughs> at all. I followed, you know, I've known you for a while and and I followed your journey and it's it's a journey and it's had highs and lows and massive challenges. But it's not a tragedy, babe. And you are you're like a phoenix. You're out of this <laughs> stronger. So oh, <laughs> <laughs> we're both getting emotional. But um, let's we will get into that. But let's go back to how did the hockey stick get in your hand at four? Your parents were big into hockey. Was it love at first sight for you and hockey? And were you no. telling us right away?
1: No, my parents say, cause yeah. My sister was already playing. I've got an older sister. But I didn't want to play because I didn't want to wear a skirt. But in like basically when I was five or six and running, um, you know, I think my parents said I was walking at like seven months. Mm. And so, yeah, they noticed I was fast. And I think when I was nine, I broke the Australian high jump record. So then my parents put me into high jump training (laughs) um, because I was too young because it was... I was too young to go to the under-10s, like, school nationals. But it wasn't probably till yeah, after maybe 10 or 11, when I got really competitive. Um, mm. And maybe that was from athletics as well. But mm. um, from then on, I was serious. <laughs>
3: was there a time that you had to drop the other sports and just focus on hockey?
1: I did. Um, I was about 15, um, so year 11, I think. Mm-hmm. And athletics by then had dropped off. Mm-hmm. Um Kind of peaked at thirteen, I think. <laughs> didn't really get any better. Um, at high jump. Oh, high jump! I peaked at nine. Right. <laughs> so I didn't get <laughs> any better at that. Yeah. With that
3: national record. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and um, and so with athletics, I was I did multi event because I wasn't. If you, I was kind of okay at everything, but if mm-hmm. you put it all together, then then it was alright. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, hockey. You know, I started early. And my dad and my mum coached me. Um, my dad coached me up until, up until I was 18 when I had to move. And they were really involved, really involved.
3: You were 17 when you first represented Australia for hockey. How young and possibly rare is that in hockey terms? I know it happens a lot in other sports like swimming and gymnastics. But for hockey, it seems a bit young. Am I right there?
1: Yeah, I think maybe third youngest or something like that um, ever. Um, you know, I was recognised, I was in the under-21 Australian team, I think I was 14 or 15. Sorry, you were in the under-21 under 21 21 Australian team at 14, at 14 15. So, That's ridiculously young. Yeah. So my, with grown women. Yeah, yeah. So I think the next person was 18, 19. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, playing with older girls and, being a higher standard or just that resilience. If I was, you know, benched or whatnot, I had no resilience. So Commonwealth Games when you're 18, that's
3: your first. Were you youngest in the team then? Yeah. 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 That's insane. Then you moved to – because hockey in Australia, some people don't realise, is all based in WA Mm. in – in Perth, yeah. on the other side of Australia, yeah. um, which is a long f- way away. So if you're talented at hockey and you're on the eastern states, you have to move over to yeah. WA for the Australian program. Yeah. So you were 18 when you moved there. Talk, I was, yeah. That resilience and not having that resilience, how did you find then being moving away from family and friends and having your sole focus being hockey?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm lucky that I – by then it was my second year of uni because that perfectionism – I went into uni straight after school, even though we, I was travelling a lot to play for Australia. And then, uh, you know, when I moved over towards the end of that year, like I set up all my uni and I had all that. Um, full-time student too. Yeah, and I was at that stage and, and it changed. I think we had a new coach and everything. I was the only one doing full-time because the whole landscape of everything changed where we went from training night and morning to like Nine till twelve, then like three to four, because mm. mm. it was um yep. what well, there's something in terms of to get to where we wanted to. Mm. I think we we're like ranks, you know, seventh or sixth, fifth, mm. and it worked for a period of time. We got up to second in two years, mm. but you're we're, we're full-time athletes. Um, you're not getting, you know, you're getting a scholarship fee. It's um. It's enough. It's not massive. It's not massive. Yeah. But you
3: built an incredible brand for yourself. You know, you had great sponsors. You had Red Bull. You had um, Nike. You know, you're in in the media. You're on covers. How did you build that brand of Anna Flanagan? How did that come about? Because that was something that
1: you hustled for, you Mm. work for. It was a hustle, and it's and this was and social media is a whole different game now. But I really I dug into that, and I knew that you know you I embraced wanna, it early, didn't you? I, I, I embraced media. it early. So, but I knew that you know for me to be able to perform, be my best, it wouldn't be trying to juggle work mm. as well, and that that if I present myself in a certain way and was able to get in front of the right people, that I would be able to get these sponsorships. And, you know, I had a lot of belief. And so from the age of 19, I got help to get a manager because even for London Olympics, you know, I got the hair extensions. I had the bow. I had a, I had a look basically because I was like, I'm going to be on TV for this amount of time and look good, feel good, play good. But... Um, it was, it was a marketing plot a strategic, decision. It was correct. totally strategic.
3: Yeah. And, and was it a way of you being like, okay, well, this is how I can maximise being I want to be athlete. marketable.
1: Yeah. And um, as much as I'd love to do that with performance and I played well in that tournament, but I also knew like being marketable is appearance wise and, you know, as much as the like sex sells and... That Mm. can be sad. I was realistic about what I was doing. It was a different era
3: back then too, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: and I was 20. So um, that started getting, you know, stuff was coming in, asking, and I was being pulled different ways. I'm not very good at saying no, so I got a manager. Mm. And he was really, the first one, I sort of, it didn't work. Mm. It wasn't what I wanted. Mm. Um, And so, you know, I worked on, I wanted to build a website. Mm. I wanted to... Write content. I was writing blogs, writing if it was for Hockey Australia, if it was whatever I could to, you know, I guess create this image of what a brand's going to want as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's crazy to think. Like I was 20. Yeah. You. That's what I was doing. Some
3: people <laughs> don't have that, that knowledge, and no one had done it before you. No one had really done that before, especially in your sport, hockey, but you maximized and you could see, okay, well, there's potential. I don't have to work a full time job and have my contract with Hockey Australia, which isn't paying much. But mm. this is a way to kind of maximize,
1: yeah, this,
3: yeah, and it worked. Like Nike, was that's insane to get Nike on
1: board? Yeah, and, and it's, it's a, it's you know, it's it's a minority sport, so it's it's not. I knew I could be. We could win a gold medal, best in the world. And sure, things will come naturally for performance, but it's still a hustle. And being a female, it's a hustle. And like being in Perth, we're competing with the AFL players. Mm. Everyone knows who they are over there and they've got all the car deals. Mm. So like I knew I had to just – this was the way I was going to go. And getting that – getting a manager based on the east side where all of the media are – Yeah, yeah. Um, I I invested in, I got photo shoots done. Like I paid my way to get that. I invested in that. I invested in trips over to Sydney to meet with Red Bull maybe three or four times. Yeah. I had discussions with Nike over in Europe. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there were connections within Nike and who jumped from Red Bull. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one had ever been sponsored by, in oh, hockey by Red mm-hmm. Bull in the world I think there are a few now over in Europe yeah. but that was completely new and but it took a couple of years and and then night came and then and World Cup and I had my team and it was one of the best tournaments I had and I scored goals mm-hmm. so it was mm-hmm. um it came at a point where it all the things aligned mm-hmm. but it was this years of like relationship building, yeah. creating something. And you invested
3: in your own and I invested that in time. It. Yeah, I love. I really respect that about you. Is that you identified it, and then you worked at it as well, and it and it paid off. And I you and it paid off for the sport as mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, we didn't know any hockey players, or you know, the hockey program wasn't on the map. But you put it on the map during your your time there, and. Everyone knew about hockey and they knew about Anna Flanagan. So that it had flow and effect for Mm -hmm. Hockey Australia. As I said, magazines, front covers. um, you were even on top gear. (laughs) Out of all that craziness and all those photo shoots and everything, was there one moment in particular that you thought, Oh my gosh, I've like I don't want to say I've made it, but wow, this is is this happening? Is that was it out
1: of all those campaigns? the campaigns were just next level because it's just a whole like that world of you know being like everyone's there for you mm. i was very uncomfortable but like but the some of the things i got to do with red bull like my initi- initiation was they put me in a helicopter over sydney harbour bridge <laughs> and then into the stunt plane to do with this stunt and um and That, like, it was insane. I vomited in a bag in my hand and had to hold it. Like, it was. Yeah, I didn't faint. But, um, but I, because I grew up, like, I grew up idolizing these other women and other sports people, I was still very much, I never got used to it. Um, it was, it was still just like a whirlwind. And I think when then there were other athletes there or, From different sports, different codes. I was always like fangirling,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and yeah, going. I think just going to the Olympics—that's the highlight of everything because it's to work for. Mm. And I got was running around getting photos with anyone and everyone, (laughs) and was just like some people don't get like that, and they're like, oh yeah, cool, you know. Um. Like, there's Leighton Hewitt. And I'm like, I have a poster of him on my wall. I love him so much. But
3: this was your dream. Yeah. You had Kathy Freeman on your wall. Yeah. You wanted to go to the Olympics. And you did it. At 20? Yeah. It? 20 years old. Yeah. At the 2012 London Olympics. You had done it.
1: Yeah. So it was, I don't think I really, it's just it felt like it happened quickly.
3: It was and, meteoric rise. Yeah,
1: it, it did. But that, the campaigns and the opportunities I got after that and, Doing Top Gear Live, which is so random. Um, <laughs> 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 um, it's still now not real, mm. um, but I was very, very lucky in that sense that, like, you know, I got to, to do things that so many people would absolutely die to do, and that, but I was getting opportunities that. It's hard when it's a team sport. I was getting opportunities. Yeah. Was
3: it
0: hard to but balance not that? everyone
1: was. Yeah. Not everyone. Yeah. Um, and it was hard, I think, for my coaches to balance that, mm. to just say, no, you can't go to Sydney because you need to train mm. um, and to put some blocks mm. down on that. And, mm. um, and that was hard because I'm like, no, because this will benefit hockey. Everything. Yeah. But at the same time it's an individual thing yeah so it's, it was, it was it was yeah i found it difficult and and it wasn't until that after you know 2014 2015 when it had all become a lot more mainstream and the and mainstream news and mainstream covers and having those sponsorships when it was i actually didn't then know the impact of that on my everyday life mm. and feeling like i couldn't go Out and do normal things, and that mm. happening really quickly. Going from a uh, you know 20 20 year old loving it to 22 and um living in Holland, and um, the postman knowing who I was, and mm. like I couldn't go to a bar or something because yeah, they didn't see me, and that whole concept. And even hockey Australia struggled like I had to have at the world cup, I had two security guards to get to like the bus, wow. not my team. Yeah, I couldn't get anywhere. I was always yeah. late, and I get in trouble. I'm like, I actually need help here. Yeah, like, yeah. And it wasn't because of, it, but it was getting mobbed. Yeah, wow. And like, it was just this stage where it was wild. Like, mm. even in Australia, at our national championships, there was a couple of years there where they had the under thirteens playing, and like, like kids, hundreds of kids, <laughs> and just for one person, and for you, and. It was like, what? How? When did this happen? Yeah, it's like this overnight thing. Yeah, and um, trying to manage that, and you know, my ego going like, I love this attention, and my mm. self esteem is like,
2: you don't deserve it. <laughs> like,
3: right. um, you yeah, had good angels. Yeah, that. because it, like, you said that all the time that you are lucky, and you know, I you know, you worked really hard for that, Anna, and you deserve that. But also, you made your Australian debut when you were 17, Commonwealth Games by 18. By the 2012 Olympics when you were 20, you had 50 national caps Mm. to your name. You were the 2013 World Junior Player. You weren't just someone in the team. You Mm. weren't just someone who was lucky to get a spot. You earned that spot and you worked hard for it and you were bloody good. You were really, really good and you earned that. But as you said, there was a bit of a darker side to all that attention. Mm. What was going on with your head there and it affected your eating. How did that all come, come about? When did that start?
1: Um, 17, I think, was when it really kicked in. Was I I think it's so common with athletes. For me, it started with, and I spoke about earlier, like just, that just uncomfortability, but
2: mm.
1: that wanting to be perfect, for me, it was the perfect athlete. The perfect athlete looked a certain way, was able to perform the best mm. um, on and off the field. And you know, I was I was this high since year eight and I'm like close to six foot <laughs> <laughs> mm. and you know, when I was in the it would have been fifteen, sixteen, I had puppy fat and I was I got skin folded for the first time and it was like it was high, but I didn't know what the numbers meant, you know. I'd never done it fifteen before. As Yeah well. Yeah and um
2: Everything. And it was, it sort of said,
1: you know, we can get that down. And then I went on to Junior World Cup and I was like, okay, this is my opportunity to eat perfectly. And I'm going to be perfect and going to eat really well. But I didn't, so it wasn't, you know, I didn't realise what that would do. I lost eight kilos in like the three weeks wow. of America. Wow. Jesus. Quick. Yeah. And although from healthy eating which is just you know really restricting i guess in terms of mm. i just i just went from eating all the things to maybe what my mum would eat mm. which is just three square meals a day quite small um and you know, so that dramatic change well. yeah a lot more than say what your mum Yeah, exactly well. and, and then you know and the, yeah. like a Whatever, fifty-year-old woman like mm, <laughs> they yeah. don't need to eat as much. Yeah. <laughs> your metabolism slows down, and I'm in that peak, and I'm exercising, and um, and so when I got back, I was so depressed, and hockey had gone down while I was playing. I was over there, like it didn't, it wasn't a good. Is it over there for worlds or over there? For yeah, ju- uh, junior world cup. Junior world cup. Yeah. How old were you? When and I was 16? I mean? uh, 16, 16, yeah. 17, I think I turned and and I was over there. I was the youngest. By a number of years, yet I was in the Australian team, so it was like, well, I should be really, you know, one of the star players, but I also was the only one from Canberra, so I didn't know anyone, <laughs> mm. um, which then meant it probably could go under the radar. Mm. And so when I got back, I'd lost not only the weight, it's like i lost myself. Mm. And so my teachers were commenting, mm. what's wrong with Anna? And that's when it changed into a real a control mm. that I've went from okay i'm gonna walk every night um like this guilt and this control around it mm-hmm. and it came out of nowhere and i was so young that i just I'd never seen this. i don't know since i remember i went to athletics kind of all it was the first year i didn't make the like fastest in the school race <laughs> I just coming and crying to my mom because i was like i i don't want to be like this but i don't know what to do mm. i can't eat mm. um how bad did it get and you know i got picked to go i got picked to go over to perth and i was i just got hungry i got hungry but sure. there was a period there that i got hungry and that's when bulimia it was turned from just undereating to bulimia and that was even worse and because it's not obvious because i put the weight back on but and then so when i was 19 was when it was the worst because I was studying and training in Canberra but my friends had done, had done a gap year and mm. so it was it just consumed me but yet I was got picked and I played my first cap for Australia and when I was away in Perth and on tour mm. I could eat like everyone else mm. it was like a break mm. but and because I was normal-ish size then um you know, and, uh, you know, a bit of a tomboy as well. Like, it just, mm. it. no one really probably picked up on it necessarily. You know, I say no one, probably people knew, mm. but because I was well when I was there. Mm. But back home, this thing, like, it was probably the worst, you know, I can't even explain the control of an inch and how mm. bad that was, that mm. period. Um And like I've gone on to have other addictions and whatnot. Mm. I think anything is bad as an eating disorder Mm. because it's you still have to eat Um, that control because it's the the shame and the vanity around it of Mm. like being worried about weight. Is you don't Mm. like I didn't want to be that person. Mm. You know, I still don't want to be that person. Mm. But it's still something like I have to manage and. Like I know I know people recover and I know that recovery is totally possible. And there's periods where I think, you know, when I went to Perth I did. I had a number of years where I was good. But by good, um, I didn't eat certain foods because I was terrified of now that I had this image to uphold mm. as well. So that kind of fueled it in a way. It fueled it, but mm. as well as a control thing is... Mm. Just, just terror. Did anyone in Hockey Australia, they didn't
3: realise or in the program that this was going on, identify um, and try her
1: on? Yeah, yeah, they did, and and I fought back. Yeah, I was like, why, you know, why worry about yourself? I'm fine. Why are you talking about me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was so resistant and so yeah. offended because why? I believe my own lies. You mm. know? I'm fine. Mm. It's fine, um, and. I saw a psychologist for a while through Hockey Australia. But yeah, yeah. it be, because it um it got better. It really did get better. And the fact then that I guess that it was never as ever as bad as it was when I was 19. Um but it was it hung around. It was never fully gone and what I got really upset about is when would get approached about it and I'd been well mm. and I'd be like how dare you mm. yeah <laughs> um and I think that's it, like what I wish I did I wish I did get help earlier and not necessarily a psychologist even like found some kind of if it's another community found other mm. people because I didn't re- I could I could go to the psychologist and I just lie mm. you know and I found it really difficult to for someone to tell me how to work with this and what to do mm. when they haven't been in that.
3: Mm. Yeah. You won two Commonwealth Games gold medals, World Junior Player of the Year, the Commonwealth Games. You were building to 2016 and Rio. And then in 2016, things started to get a little bit out of control for for Anna. What was going on with you then? What... What was happening in your world at
1: that point? Why did things for want of a better word, why did things spiral? Well, after the World Cup in uh 2014, as I said, we did really well. Went to home games in Glasgow, we won. Mm. I then flew to play in Holland for a year, mm. not realizing that the World Cup was in Holland mm-hmm. and that now and hockey's big in Holland. Mm. And the attention was big and a lot. Yeah, the postman knew you. And yeah. I, I didn't know how to handle that. In uh, it was in a little town where, I, um, you know, I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak Dutch. And, and I just wanted to be twenty-two. Mm. I wanted to go out and I wanted to party. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I loved partying, but I never partied. <laughs> And it was like, cool, now I can do this, especially I've heard all these stories about such a fun time and, Mm -hmm. and very quickly, I think I'd went out three weeks in a row and, you know, got blackout drunk and it was, I had a ban on me, no going out, Mm -hmm. um, no people over and then one day, you know, I was just so isolated, I was yeah. so alone. I, there was, um, wine in the house mm. and I'm getting a bottle and, and having a drink and looking at it being like, could this spiral like my, what it did with food or, mm. you know, could, could that spiral into something? Mm. And as soon as I drank and I had a bottle and I remember just being like, you know, even though I'm alone and I'm stuck in this place, mm. it quieted and everything was okay. And mm. I didn't stop after that day. Mm. The next day was the same. And by the time I got back to Australia at 22, I was, I was an everyday drinker.
3: Mm. Mm. How much drinking?
1: It started off as a bottle, it progressed to two. Mm. Um, I was still training. Mm. I was still training. And people knew that, like, you know, I was stunk. And that was 2015 and that I – was it, 2016? 20 It was 20 – I got back mid-2015. Um, didn't get into a trip at the end of the year. Um, and I also got a bit injured over there and, you know, it could have been because of the drinking. So I started to get in fear fit and fitness was my thing. Mm. I was like, okay, if I can be the fittest in the team – give myself the best chance. Yeah. So, um, and I've lost that fast. Mm. Um, but when I, I was still playing on, if I went on tour and whatnot, I get these breaks and these reprieves when drinking. And and there was so much lying and hiding from me. So they wouldn't, a lot of it, wouldn't have had any idea. Like my family didn't know. My partner didn't know. Mm. Yeah. Like the fact that I live with someone, they don't know. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until that start of 2016 when I got a DUI mm. um and I wasn't because I didn't know I had a problem you want to admit you had a problem yeah I was like well I'll just stop if I need to mm. obviously I need to look what's happening but um but you didn't connect that no and because because it was before Olympics I've done so much media my performance was already suffering so my, the expectation of what people thought of me mm. didn't match the player I was at yeah. that time. And that was really difficult. And, you know, I basically the DUI meant that because I was picked in the tournaments to go just before Rio, so pretty much in the team. So it meant then that I had – I was dropped from those trips – which never to be meant, they couldn't select me. Because you didn't tell Hockey at Australia at the time that you had a DUI, did you? No. So I held that for a month or two um, because I was like, this cannot. I'm scared. Like, imagine right now that the attention, the bringing them to disrepute, you know, I, and they said, and I got lawyers straight away, and they're like, no one has to know. Mm. You didn't have to tell everyone, mm. anyone. No one will know. I'm like, you sure? Yeah. Then the living with it was the worst part. Mm. Like it wasn't that it'd be okay if even if it, no one found out. That probably would have been the worst part yeah. because I was. That was when my coach was get grabbing me um, aside every week, going like, "What's wrong with you? Mm. You're withdrawn. Mm. Like we can something's up." And um, it was that I had this big secret. Mm. And it was debilitating. And when it came out in the media, it was almost like, "Oh, I don't have to hide." Yeah, right. is really. <laughs> and then it was awful. And you the know, media attention was intense. I it guess. was intense. I couldn't go home. Like I was at my partner's work because got dropped off at the side of the road, and I had been. You know, having to get help to get out of bed the next day, and mm. having to face that, and having to face the the sponsors and the, mm. to call them to like, what's going on? I didn't want to face it with myself. Mm. So whatever lies I was spinning, had been like, mm. oh, I just you know had a couple too many at dinner, mm. it was what I was telling myself so that I could believe it to mm. them tell it because yeah, I was, yeah, it was it's just and. You know, I put my you were struggling. My coaches it. through like the my coach had when he told the girls my friend said Simon so was crying. Mm. He knew he couldn't pick me. Like mm. I put him through that. And as much as like there's been a lot of cultural stuff that's come up and reviews and mm. hockey and things haven't been handled well and could have been better, what Getting so by and what recovery has brought me is this is being able to see my part in that. Mm. And I was so angry when I didn't get picked. Mm. I was so angry. I'm like, oh, I was a footballer. <laughs> like yeah. and like, true, but <laughs> you know, like it was able to then go, I can release that resentment mm. and I can also go apologize because mm. I put other people in situations have to make a decision about that and that was that was been a really powerful thing and you know when I called my coach up a couple of years later and he answered and um not long after he's when I just said I look I just really want to apologize because I know I've probably I don't know what I've said in media I don't know what i said to other people <laughs> but um I Totally understand why you weren't able to pick me. And I am so sorry that I kept this from you, that I lied, mm-hmm. um, that I didn't get the help I needed and put you in that situation. And he cried because he thought the call would have been, like, is Anna dead? What's happened? Oh, yeah. No? Like, is what's happened now? Mm. And I was just thinking... That The amount of stress I've put some through that they get a call being like, what's next, is um, pretty. It's really full on. It sounds like me, like you were struggling.
3: You were really not in a good
1: <laughs> place. Could no one
3: in the organisation, I know you want to take responsibility and I think that's really admirable and great, but there is another side of Hockey Australia and they talk about that toxic culture, but how did no one recognise or see how much... You were struggling and needed help. Did you get that help? Did people notice, or we? You, do you feel like you were kind of like I don't left know. to deal with it yourself?
1: There was, I think, people. It was noticeable because I would have a conversation like one of the girls said, "You smell like alcohol," and I deny it. So there was part of that, I'm telling them something else, mm. but also that, as you said, my profile was bringing in stuff mm. like. Right. Having me on the team was a good thing for hockey as well. So there's like part of that 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 could be potentially. But when I look at that period and that coaching staff group, there was like all the ducks aligned where I wasn't just struggling. We had coaches sleeping in their car, going through divorce. We had coaches who were severely depressed. We had it all happened at once. Mm. So I was going through this. And there was probably three other coaches who also just hit their own bottom. Mm. Mm. And then so, you know, whose responsibility is it that maybe it's the people who are looking after you mm. weren't being looked after. And then that impacted the girls mm. and it went both ways. And um, was there maybe, a toxic culture? You know, it's, I think definitely parts of it, definitely parts of it. But the actual program that we, the training program was a really tight ship. I think they just wanted us to do well and they tried to tick every single box. And and I think that, you know, the period before me, um, I had three coaches and all three of them have been pushed out mm. <laughs> and I had all three mm. and you know, I think the first and third were probably m- more where there were, m- there was more toxicity and, and I don't necessarily think it was the coaches, but, um, I guess it's from top down and you can see like the, there was a review and like that whole coaching staff from high performance director to CEO, to coach, to assisting coaches got moved on. Mm. And you know, I was killing for that at the time mm. when I was going when I got dropped and the you know, the lack, the zero support and I was really sick. It's killing for that to happen and mm. you know, I think it was last year, so four or five years later. And you know, I don't I didn't want that for anyone mm. in terms of, you know, having to like especially the coach, it's losing I'm sure coaching Australia is a dream for anyone, but at the same time that like I'd let go of that resentment a long time mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. And I'd seen my part. But I really, re- yeah, I took responsibility. But I think it there was so many girls that were impacted in the last four years that quit really young. Mm-hmm. and quit really young young and for whatever reason. And it might not directly be related to coaching or staff it was just they so need their support was not there i don't know there's a bunch of things there are a lot of selections that weren't correct mm. and that was what i was angry at i was like okay i've got all these issues um, but i know i'm good enough to be in sure. you know and you know the best keeper in the world when she gets dropped yeah. it's like well see this isn't right yeah um yeah so there was there was a lot. There was how mm. it was managed and how we were responding to the type of coaching. Mm. I think if I was playing now, and I was a- able to and fit mm-hmm. and training, and today I'd be ten times better because I can, I have resilience and I hmm. care about my team more. I was so in self and, um, and a lot of it was fear. You know, I remember sitting there and we did us this circle where they said, like, say one good thing and one bad thing about everyone, and it was meant to be hockey-related. And most of the girls said the bad thing about me is, like, why do you wear so much makeup to play and da, da, da. And I left and I was are furious because I was like, image, why yeah. does it, yeah. this, she wears makeup, why don't you say anything to her? Or she's got short hair, does it bother? Like, it, it was just this targeted my self-esteem was, and people mm. then were like, well, we, we know you work so you have low self-esteem. And I'm like, well, mm. that's why. Like this, it was, this, it was, yeah. I remember me, I think I talked to the captain about it. And mm. she she even said, like, she mentioned to the psycho, I think Anna might want to talk after that. Because mm. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Um but it's changing. It's it's changing. Like, How did you get back? Because yeah. you were dropped for Rio.
3: And at the time, was Nike going to make you the face of their Olympic campaign? They were. As well?
1: They were. So that's um, they were going to make me the face. I had a massive contract with Red Bull. Like, I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. But you kept those sponsors? They stuck I with you? I kept them. Yeah. I did. I think, and that's, because I built relationships with them. Yeah. Yep. I built relationships and they obviously it was, you know, me hiding the things Mm. and not being open and honest was a hit Mm. for them. But they did. But once I got dropped, they can't contractually keep that. But I think the worst part was that, you know, when I got dropped and I got caught drinking on the last day of tour Mm. and, um. This is after Rio? This is after Rio, and, like, three days before I got a Best on Ground certificate against New Zealand. Like, mm. And yet it was one day, one day, and I drank. Mm. And I put wine in my drink bottle and I drank. Wow. Like, isn't that insane? It's so insane, Anna. It no is insane. One yeah. day. And then it wasn't as big, because obviously the Olympics the been, but it was still, you know, that commentator, somehow it got out and he mentioned on the game that I didn't play in, that I was, um, uh, something about not sanctioned, but, you know, for behavior and he mentioned it and with the whole thing, I was just like, just can we not put a press release out about this one? Mm. <laughs> like. You know, because my mum so we came on and,
3: ground, had your drink bottle, which
1: hockey, I thought was, it was, it was not, not a hockey. It was it was the, the d- night before, and we were doing like team games and stuff. And mm. the morning, my friend messaged me, and, bless her, did you get a little bit lit last night? Mm. <laughs> and my heart, like, it's the floors dropping, mm. and you know, and my mum picks me up crying, and just. Yeah, and I, I, so I ended up in the media again and I couldn't take calls. My manager was fielding them because I was like, I can't talk to Rebel, I can't talk to Nike, I can't. And was that
3: it for you with hockey? I mean, were you ready to quit
1: when you quit? No, I, so I met with the coach, there's new coaches came in and they were like, no, you're not picked. So I said, and they said, we didn't think, you know, just take a year, go away and get better. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to move to Sydney Yep. because I knew Katrina Powell was the coach and she coached me at Junior World Cup mm-hmm. when I didn't have a good time. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, I know if I go there, she's going to look after me. Mm. Um, and so, you know, my manager was there. So I moved, didn't have a place to stay, didn't have a job. Um, and I had an interview with Fox Sports the next day. They gave me a job. Um, and I always wanted to work for Fox Sports. I thought that was really cool. Sorted a house out and started training with little kids. No, they were. <laughs> I was 25 and they were from like 15 to 18. And she was said, you know, be young. I loved it. Those mm. girls were beautiful, I think, and it's so funny because yeah, this idea of whatever it is that I've perceived as, meet me and they're like, you're so different to what we thought.
2: Mm. I'm like,
1: yeah, I'm not a great example because I will forget my hockey stick and my mm-hmm. shim pads and I'll go the wrong way and I'm late. And, um, But it, that gave me, you know, a different purpose because they were younger They had questions, they wanted to learn, and and they were so excited and fresh, Mm. not worn down, angry, sad at what was happening. And, um, you know, that AHL in that year was the best I'd ever played. Mm. In saying that, I hadn't stopped drinking. No one knew. Mm. I didn't know that I couldn't stop. I had no idea until it was two, I kept training full time for two years and that stage I knew they weren't gonna pick me because staff had come and go, those assistant coaches and like doesn't matter how you play, you're not gonna get picked. And, and I knew you're still in the development squad. They put me in the development squad and made I trained. I kept going off to train. Everyone in the development squad had got a game but me.
3: Mm, not.
1: And um yeah, so I was so bitter. So but I was like even though I know I know I was like I'm gonna keep trying, I'm not ready. Mm. Like I can't it can't end like this. Mm and when i played that tournament and you know and it was the best i'd ever played and Mm -hmm. i enjoyed it it was great and the next year i played and i played it like crap so i was like i wouldn't pick me it's okay It's time it's okay and so i retired in 2019 and um it was a whole nother level and it really like it just brought me to my knees where that was when I tried to stop and I couldn't stop drinking. Yeah. So how When you are at your lowest, how low did it get? Oh, what sent me into rehab was my partner at the time going, I can't be with you mm-hmm. and I can't be on the journey to recovery with you. Mm-hmm. And you've lied so much. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, not long after then I lost my job. I just had nothing left. So it's two and a half years ago, that's when I came into recovery and realised in a room of people when other people are identifying with their issues, I was like, oh, my God, Mm. I'm not alone. Mm. (laughs) I am not alone. And it was like I loved rehab. Like I said, I was like, I want to move in. (laughs) Like. You found Just, your peace. Oh, because I realized this all this stuff was and there's so much shame. I so much shame. I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anyone about the drinking or about drinking, hockey. eating, everything mm. because what would that look like? What would that mm. and so so ashamed. And um by sharing it and hearing other people share. Mm. Um, it was the first time I accepted any kind of help because mm. um, I just thought I could do it. I mm. thought I could do it by myself. You know, it's like I can get to the Olympics. Like how can That's I not do you're this? It's you right? How Work hard,
3: can, just keep going, just keep going.
1: Yeah, like how can I not do this? Mm. And it's really, you know, addictions, like, and the thing is that relapse is part of that cycle and I didn't, you know, that was another failure. I think I was four months out of rehab when I was like, yeah, what is this, Friday? I'll have a drink with work people. Mm. That spiralled into six months. Mm. Like quick and it was confirming that I am an alcoholic mm. and I can identify with that and there's a solution for that. But, you know, being Is that able,
3: when you found yourself homeless and...
1: Through that period, yeah. So then... I I moved where I was. I had to leave and um, a beautiful girl and her family that I play hockey with, didn't even know her family, was like, Mm. just come live with me. Mm. And I had my car and so I'd stay at her house and then another beautiful friend in recovery um, house and then have all my stuff in my car. But I did that for what, three days, the fourth days when I got, a second DUI. Mm. And I was parked out the front of her house mm. with the keys ignition on the phone. Um, and at that stage, I didn't even remember what was going on, but all I knew was that I th- said, I wanted to go to jail because there's no alcohol in there. Mm-hmm. I wanted so badly to stop and I didn't know how. And that thinking of, I'm just too far gone. There's always been something wrong. Either it's been eating, right? And I'm like, I wanted to die, and now it's drinking, and I can't live without drinking, but I can't live with it. And I was just, that's it. I just didn't, I had no answers. I didn't want to live. Um, and yet I was this walking dead. And, the, and like the, like I laugh at it, but the police statement says, you know, the plaintiff says, if you had my life, like you drink too like <laughs> you know it was it's so so much pain mm. and yet uh, you know at that stage it was and then I went into rehab again for a third time and so it's it wasn't until I really got in the middle of recovery and I got a circle of women around me and I had to have a full lifestyle change I just couldn't couldn't go to a psychologist once a week and tick it off I had to everything I put in front of my recovery I lost Mm. I just lost it and you know now I'm in like I can't like this my life now I can't even describe the Mm. difference of that and that I'm in a place where I sponsor other women going through this and that you know last night I did service at a rehab and that you know um, I've got my licence back um, and this... And how long sober now? I am at 13 months and 21 days. Congratulations, Anna. Thank
3: That's awesome. You. <laughs> That's awesome. It's really, you. really good, babe. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Getting all emotional. <laughs> <laughs> it's been such a tough road. Yeah. you feel stronger? Or is it still a process? Are you still something?
1: Yeah, it's, you know... I have so much respect for people with addiction because if I thought that trying to get to the Olympics was hard, this was, you know, I thought it was impossible. Mm. I didn't think, and it's, I've lost people I've met in rehab because they do not get it. I was so close. Mm. I was so close. And I had someone, you'll be dead in six months. And if it wasn't my drinking, it was, my mind would have killed me because mm. I didn't want to live. And it's, The gifts of sobriety, like, my life now Mm -hmm. outweigh, like, you know, like they say my worst, what was it? It's like my best day drunk will never be better than my worst day sober, but it's Mm -hmm. better than my my life. It will never be, you know, better than my life now. Mm -hmm. Never. Like, I'm so, you know knowing what's happened and having these lows, I know that how low it got. I'm like, imagine the opposite of that mm. and how good that is. And to be able to see other people recover, um, it's just given me a purpose. Like I just got back from LA and I was at, I went to a retreat mm. with 120 other sober women. Mm. Um, and there was a girl there on day two and she just, you know, she's popped up at a meeting and day one and the women just were like, you're coming to this retreat with us. She was going to drive her car off a cliff on the weekend. Like, isn't that just insane? Mm. Like how, I was like, what am I witnessing? Mm. am I part of? And, you know, I... You want to help people now? Yeah. Well, I've been helped. I've been saved mm. by Women in Recovery. And they've given me what they've learned. Mm. And it's my duty, really, to I have to pass that
3: on. You mentioned a lot of people giving you support, you know, inside rehab. Um, But within hockey as well, there was one person that became a really good mate of yours and has been a great – she says that she's your person and you're her person and she absolutely adores you. She's a former hockey roo and she's a Channel 7 presenter now and is doing really well and she's a close friend of yours and we asked Georgie Parker if she could... send you a little message that we could play you.
2: Hello, darling girl. Um, Firstly, I just want to say I love you and I'm proud of you and I probably don't tell you as often as I should. I I used to tell you daily and that's probably only weekly, but I do absolutely adore you and everything you stand by. You frustrate the hell out of me. You really do. Um, But, you know, that's just part of you and your charm and You're such a a pure, wonderful woman who is finding herself and in the past year or two you really have found yourself um, after being lost for a little bit there and, you know, I worry about you every day but I know that every day you're getting stronger and... Um, more confident in yourself and your decisions and you know looking at yourself and seeing what we see, which is just an incredible woman who 's achieved so much and I really really am so proud of you and when i 'm with you, I probably feel more me with you than I do with anyone else in the world and that 's saying something uh, you really really are such a wonderful person, your love is contagious you Really are incredible, and I can't wait for you to grow more and more into yourself as you have the last year or two. So I love you every day. I love you more. Oh, <laughs> I feel like I got snot. I think I just got
1: off. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Oh, she didn't tell me that. Oh, she's sneaky she's
3: pretty special everything (laughs) there's a special friendship that's come out of hockey for
1: you too isn't it it is like yeah where you know we it's just so close that there's a period there where we would just be we'd have the phone on to each other for like five hours
2: Mm.
1: And we wouldn't even be talking. we <laughs> just yeah. doing stuff. Like, we talk like every day, and you know, life's gotten busier. But you know, like Georgie drove me to court. Like, she flew mm. up. From, and I had eye surgery before and like wearing an eye patch. And <laughs> and she drove me to training for so long. And um, she's there for She's you. just there. Mm. She's there. And, um, she's got a lot of compassion and understanding of, you know, the pressure we put on ourselves. And, Mm. like, she's just, you know, I think she's come through so much herself. Mm. And to see where she's at now, like, she's just, and by come through, she's just worked so hard. She's worked so hard. Mm. And you get little bits and pieces. But to see her, like, shining, um, and, and just being herself, mm. just being herself, and she's hilarious. And she's so, <laughs> so, so smart. She's so cool. Um,
3: we finish off every podcast by asking if you could go back in time and tell your little 10 year old self something, a little 14 year old self who's just, just before you're about to represent Australia for the first time, what would you tell that little Anna Flanagan?
2: Oh,
1: I think, I think I would say, Don't compare yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Do the best that you can do, and if it doesn't happen today, it can happen tomorrow, mm. the next day.
3: Well, and I've. I think we were trying to work out was it twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen when we when we first met, and I adored you from the first moment. I um. I met you and we've been trying to make this podcast happen for a while. I contacted you a while ago and said, when you're ready, uh, you know, I'd love to tell your story, but only when you're ready. And you did say then, I'm not ready now. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I will. And you, then, you know, you came back and said, I'm ready now. Um, from a personal perspective, as I said, throughout this, like this is, this is part of your journey and I... I see strength when I see you. I see someone go who's been through so much, but I see an even stronger woman come out of it. So I feel very honoured um, that you've shared your story and I know your story will help so many women. So thank you for being honest and thank you for sharing your story with Honour
1: Game. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, like the compassion you've shown, it's like having a, another female mm. support me. Um, at my worst, like, is just the best feeling. Yeah. And to, to have, you know, you contact me and go, when you're ready. Mm. And there's, you know, I was like, never, ever again. <laughs> but because I have a bond, but how compassionate you were at a time when all was lost um really connected with me so i'm really i'm really honored to be here to share that you know what six seven eight eight years later yeah. <laughs> seeing you again i'm sure it's going to get hard again but just not doing it by myself yeah and leaning into the people that are there that are willing to support that no one needs to do it by themselves because he said the but a lot of cheerleaders almost there.
0: on her game was presented by me Sam Squires producer Lindsay Green audio producer Nikki Sitch executive producer Jennifer Goggins